that. Amen? So welcome. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, we're going to continue our study uh, through the Gospel of John, and we find ourselves in John chapter 19, and we're going to begin uh, with the end of uh, verse 16 this morning. So John chapter 19, uh, verse 16, and uh, let's pray together, and then we'll begin our study this morning. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the great harmonies during worship. They're just awesome, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we look at your word this morning, uh, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're working through, this is kind of part two of Jesus' passion, uh, which is his purposeful, intentional uh, suffering and sacrifice uh, for you and I. And the text that we land on today is about his crucifixion and about his burial. Now, if you check out the notes, what you're going to find is I'm going to give you, in your notes, I'm going to give you some of the source material uh, that I use when I go to prepare a teaching. And sometimes that's really mysterious, you know. You're like wondering, like, how does he know this stuff? And uh, I, I know this stuff because I read. And, uh, and I want to offer you that information so that you can um, fact check me if you'd like, but also so that you can put yourself in a place where you can grow biblically, you can grow in feeding yourself the word of God, uh, and you have uh, some of the same, say, materials that, that, that I would work, work with. And so, uh, chapter 19 of John, uh, and verse 16. John writes this, So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription, and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. What we notice right off is that John doesn't give us really any details about how they crucified Jesus, what happened, uh, gives us an idea of some of the materials that, he, that were used and some of the process that was used, but he avoids all the details. And the reason he does that is that crucifixion can be s described as Gruesome, horrible, bloody, gut-turning. It was, the, uh, the Romans used it to make an example of those that they executed in such a way that they became a public spectacle so that others would fear Roman rule. And so what we have to do is we have to go beyond the biblical text, and there's a great 
resource that I want to call your attention to, and it's, it's written by Lee Strobel, and the title of his work is The Case for Christ, A Journalist's Personal Investigation of the Evidence. And so this book has about 15, 15 million copies in print. And what Strobel does is he mines out the historical evidence. For example, in 1968, when they were doing an excavation around Jerusalem, they found someone that was actually crucified and the skeletal remains, including the spikes that they used, including uh, you know how they wounded the person, all that, all those historical details were found in 1968 in a, pu- in a paper published in 1970. And Strobel takes that along with a medical doctor and they go methodically through each and every step of the crucifixion. Now, if you've seen the movie, Mel Gibson, right, The Passion of Christ, Mel Gibson uses that primary source material to present something that I've only seen that movie one time, and that was quite enough, quite enough for me. But just to kind of give you a few quotes on a PG level, here's some of the things that come out when we think about Christ uh, being crucified. Quote, as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. The soldier would use a whip of uh, braided leather uh, thongs with metal balls, and when the whip would strike, and the whip had pieces of sharp bone, cut the flesh severely. The purpose of the beam, the spikes, and the stretching in the body led to death caused by uh, respiratory acidosis and cardiac arrest. And that's, that, is the, that is the mild uh, report of what a crucifixion looks like. The question begs, why? Why, cruci- why did Jesus have to die by crucifixion? That's at the end of the teaching. That's in the so what, now what type section of the teaching. Why did Jesus have to do that? Why did he die on the cross? Why the cross? Why such agony? Why such pain? The second little part of our, of our text this morning begins in verse 23. It says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them up into four parts. Verse 24, So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill what the scripture says, and John quotes Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now there's some fascinating things here in the text as we learn two things that I think are important, is that the number of Roman soldiers that crucified Jesus was how many, do you think? John tells us it's four. And he quotes from Psalm, what was it, 22, Psalm 18? In your 
notes, what you're going to find is a second resource that I give you is a resource that's a really cool, nice, clean PDF. And on one side, it gives you 351 Old Testament scriptures. And then it gives you 300, and on the right side, it gives you 351 quotes from the New Testament that show the fulfillment of the promise in the Old Testament. We see the fulfillment of that promise in the New Testament about Jesus Christ. 351 promises where God says, Jesus is going to suffer and die. For example, Isaiah 53. He's going to be wounded. He's going to be struck. He's going to be bruised. And he's going to do all of that so that we could experience the healing of God in our hearts and in our souls. What does that tell you about the text? What does that tell you about God? tells us this, is that nothing in the scriptures is by accident. You might look at the situation that Jesus found himself in, many skeptics do, and say, well, this is all nice and good. He was just a, he was just a victim of the times, except this. All through the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, uh, Acts chapter 7, where Peter and John and Stephen give their sermons and testify. And you know what happened to Stephen once he did his sermon. They gave him the, <laughs> took him out by stoning him. And what did they present to the people? They presented Peter and John and Stephen and eventually Paul. They gave a, they gave a witness of the Old Testament prophetic word and the fulfillment of that prophetic word in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And John does the same thing here. He says that they, they what looked arbitrary, did you, do you think the Roman soldiers knew they were fulfilling prophecy? No. So what does it speak to our hearts? God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. He's in control of all circumstances, all times, all people, all ages, all cultures. He's in control of all those things. Should bring us comfort in our own day, in our own situations that we face. God is in control. 351 promises given. How many completed? 351 completed. And so it's a good apologetic of understanding that Jesus was not a victim. Jesus was a willing participant in his Father's plan to give himself as a sacrifice. We'll answer the why in a, in a couple minutes. Take a look at the next little section of the text. What we see in verse 25, we see the tender compassion of a loving shepherd towards those that he loves and cares for. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, who's that? Who's the disciple that Jesus loved? He's kind of shy and doesn't really like being called out, but we, we can call him out today, can't we? It's the, it's the writer 
it's the author, it's the Apostle John. He says, then he said to the, to the disciple, uh, come back, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to, his, to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And so even as Jesus is hanging on the cross, what does that account tell us? Hang on to that thought. We'll go to the next verse. After this, Jesus, knowing, knowing that all was now finished, see, what it tells us is that Jesus is fully aware, fully conscious. He's not, he's not medicated. He's not under the influence of some, you know, narcotic that would dull the pain. He's fully there. He's fully engaged. And what we see from these verses is because of that, we know that Jesus is fulfilling, intentionally fulfilling the purposes of the Father. And we have to ask ourselves the question, like, why is he doing that? And, and we'll get to that when? In a few moments, you know? Why? Jesus says to fulfill all that the Scripture says, Jesus says, quoting Psalm 69, 21, and perhaps Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. Jesus says, after this, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. Note this. It may appear the Romans are in control. It may appear that the high priests are in control. But the only one in control is Jesus Christ and the Father. And they have a purpose, and they have a plan. Come back to the text with me. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross, I mean, you know the story, right? You've seen the movie, Charlton Heston, you know? seen the Passion of Christ, maybe. There's two guys on the side, uh, probably revolutionaries or robbers, some of the text uh, says that they might be, but they were in trouble with Rome and they were crucified. The soldiers came, and in order to hasten their death, as the text says, they did what? They broke their legs so that they would basically asphyxiate. When they came to Jesus, what did they do? Did they break his legs? No. In fulfillment of Scripture, they didn't break his legs because the Passover lamb, no bone would be broken. They come to Jesus and they say, well, let's just make sure he's really dead. And what do they do? They take a lance or a spear and they pierce his side. Well, that seems like well, that seems like the right thing to do if you're going to execute someone. But is that the reason? The reason is so that what could be fulfilled? So that Scripture could be filled, fulfilled. And you look at Zechariah 12.10, that he would be pierced. And so once again, you have this dynamic of 700, 800, 500, 1,000 
2,000 years before Christ comes to be the suffering servant, the Messiah, God says, this is what I'm going to do, just so you'll know it's me. This is what I'm going to do. And, I, and because you're a little slow, I'm not going to give you 100 promises or 200 promises. I'm going to give you over 300 promises, and then I'm going to come and do it. And people are going to fulfill those promises, testifying in a sense, of the sovereignty and total control of God. Why? Well, we'll get there. Come back to the text with me. Jesus is buried. And after these things, we see Joseph of Arimathea, right? And then we see another guy come along. He's a, these guys tend to be shy, you know? You have Nicodemus come along, right? And they take Jesus' body and they bury it in a borrowed tomb that's owned by Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy, wealthy man, to, to do what? To fulfill the scripture that we find in Isaiah 53.9. And so when we look at all of the narrative of Christ's crucifixion, the dividing of his clothes, I'm thirsty, the piercing of his side, his bones not broken, where he's buried, it all says this, God is sovereignly in control of all things for a purpose and for a reason. Let me end with talking about the why. Now, we're going to take it a step deeper, so hold on. I'm going to give you three theological words that make up one co theological concept which answers the why. So you're ready to move beyond just, you know, just the Sunday school curriculum here on Sunday morning? So the first word is penal. The second word is substitutionary. And the third word is atonement. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. That's the why. Now define those three words and we'll illustrate it from Scripture because it unlocks the real message of the gospel. Penal means something that's what? Punishment. That's right. Thank you, Jack. Penal has to do with punishment. Now, substitutionary has to do with what? Taking someone's place. Stepping into stepping into someone else's sphere, what they own. So penal has to do with punishment. Substitutionary has to do with taking someone's place. What does atonement mean? It, it means to cover. It means to cover. And so when we get to why the crucifixion, which unlocks the whole gospel message, allows us to know the glorious grace that we have in Christianity, it's about penal substitutionary atonement. Let me bring you all the way back, if you would, and ask, what is God, how does God handle sin? How does God handle sin? So that has direct bearing on the why. How does God handle sin? Anybody know our original relatives? Some of you are saying, the holidays are coming, and I ain't thinking about relatives today, Conway. You're only going to ruin my day. But anyway, set that aside. Ask yourself, what, who are our original 
great, great to the 20th degree, whatever, who are our original parents? Adam and Eve. Did Adam and Eve sin? Yes. And so that, though, that's our heritage. We, are, we have a heritage that our great, great, great parents have gifted us with a sinful nature. And so as, a, as, as having a sinful nature, we have an inability to present ourselves to a holy and pure God. Why? Because we're sinful. God can't have anything to do, uh, doesn't have anything to do with, with sinful, depraved people. Why? Because he's pure, and he's holy, and he's righteous, and he's good. And so our heritage, Adam and Eve, they have imparted to us a sinful, depraved nature that has an inability to pay the penalty for our own sin. In other words, we can't get to God. Now, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 with me and remember the Sunday school flannel graphs. Anybody remember those? That's where I real. That's where I. I didn't grow up in the church. I, I learned my Bible study, uh, my Bible, you know, stories, b- because I taught uh, kindergarten and first grade. And so, if you're there and you're struggling with all of this, join the club, but also volunteer to teach Sunday school. Now that should get me a cup of coffee from the Sunday school staff. But that's how you learn it. If you're an adult and you don't know about Noah's Ark, you know. Teach Sunday school, and you'll know all about it. When Adam and Eve sinned, and, and they were going to be thrust out of the garden, what did God do before he sent them out? They're hiding themselves in the garden, and the Lord goes, Yoo-hoo! Where are you, Adam and Eve? Do you think he knew where they were at? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and what did they have on? Fig leaves. Thank you. He killed, made a sacrifice, and took the fur and made a cloak for them so they wouldn't be cold. He made an atonement for them. He made a covering for them, which came through the sacrifice an animal giving up its life and the shedding of blood. Think about the children of Israel. And think about that time where the death angel was going to come, one of the judgments. What did God have them do? to take, it's called the Passover, to take what? A spotless lamb without, without broken bones, slay that lamb, take the blood, go into your home, put the blood on the doorpost and lintel of your home, and when the death angel comes, he will do what? He will pass over. See, what what we see in God's nature and God's character 
Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What happened at the cross? Why did it happen? Because God's holy and just. We have an inheritance called a sinful, depraved nature. We can't get to God. So God, out of his love for you and I, out of God's love that he wanted Eddie Conway to be with him forever and live with him in heaven, you can put your name in there too, that God wants you to live forever in heaven, but he knows you can't get there. So he sent, as John the Baptist would say, behold the Lamb of God to be a penal take the punishment, to be a substitute, to step into our place so that we could have atonement, a covering by the blood of Jesus Christ so that when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our Adamic nature. He sees what the second Adam has done for us and shedding his blood and covering our sin. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ and Jesus' righteousness and not our filthy rags. Back to Isaiah. What are the implications for that for us? The implications for, for us is that, is that we, we don't have to strive. We don't have to work to be accepted by God. All we need to be is to step in through repentance and faith and to appropriate God's forgiveness in Christ. He cleanses us, and we'll, we'll celebrate the table he, he cleanses us by the blood of the Lamb. And when, and when God looks at us, who does he see? He sees Jesus Christ. Now, the world may look at us as a church and say, oh, those self-righteous people, those hypocrites. And all I want to say is, yeah, you got it right. You got it right. But the thing in the gospel message is that it's not by works. It's not by our righteousness. It's not by our holiness. It's not by our effort. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Some of you think, you know, hey, Jesus got a good deal when, when he got me because, you know, I am who I am. It's just the opposite. You got the good deal at the expense of Christ. What's, how do you... Parse out that acronym for grace. God's, if you know it, say it with me. God's riches at Christ's expense. See, that's the gospel message. And what we offer to our own hearts is that we are loved and accepted and forgiven, not because of what we've done, but because of Jesus. And what we offer what we offer to the world is the same thing. It's like we're street people. And we've been hanging out by the clinic. And we went to our, where, where we're living, down here in the brush area, in the tree area, where we put our lean-to tent. Yeah, right down there. We're like that street person that goes down and enters their tent, and there's like an amazing meal 
It's an amazing Thanksgiving meal that it's just there and we just gobble it up. That's what it's like to be a Christian. We're just a street bum, a street person. And out of the grace and mercy of God, He has drawn us to a place where we have this glorious relationship with Him just based upon the simple truth that God so loved the world, He sent His Son. And we have been drawn by the Holy Spirit. And that is what we offer the world. We don't offer the world our righteousness because we don't have any. What we have has been given to us and that we offer so that all those that call upon the name of the Lord could experience the gift of salvation. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He took the sin upon himself. He took the curse by hanging on a tree so that you and I would not have to pay that price. And as we repent of our sins and turn to him in faith, he gives us a gift, his righteousness, his acceptance, and his love. Why did he go to the cross? Because he loved us and wanted to provide a way back to the Father so that we could live in heaven with God forever. And so if you happen to be listening online or you happen to be here this morning and you felt that drawer in your heart to come to God, to come to Christ, just know that He has, he has made it all possible. There's not a thing you need to do except turn to Him, say, I'm going to, I'm going to, give you this messed up life. I'm going to I'm going to make a change. I'm going to make a I'm going to make a a used car sale here. I'm going to take this this messed up life and I'm going to exchange it for eternal life. That's it. That's what we that's that's what makes us Christians. That's what makes us the ecclesia, the ones that are called out. Just a bunch of people that have found grace in Jesus Christ. Say amen. amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table, and we just want to give you a moment. If you're worshiping with us at home, give you a moment to gather the elements together, get your peeps in a circle, and, and pray along with us this morning as we celebrate uh, the Lord's table.